Thank you for joining us at OurDaybreak.Church. On this week's podcast, we're continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 16-18. Father, help us today to see the Makarios life, the life of flourishing that is set before us only in the life of Jesus. We ask all of this in your son's amazing name. Everybody said? So we've been, as I said, kind of walking through, not kind of, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount and... Uh, to kind of capture a little bit of our attention, the key to a joyful, powerful, faithful makarios, that's full, flourishing life found in Jesus, is one that is found in continual focus and feasting and functioning out of an intimacy, or to keep them all with F's, a fellowship with God in his presence. That, that to truly experience the flourishing life, that's kind of the goal we, we had talked about. And I think at the end of the day when we all ask this question, what does it mean for me to have the best life? What does it mean for me to flourish in my life? God longs for us to flourish. It's understanding that that flourishing doesn't always mean the world's success. It doesn't always mean the, the things that we've held to the high regard, but what does God hold to that regard. And so when we talk about this flourishing life, this joyful, powerful, faithful life that is lived out only found in Jesus, that it is found through focus, intentionality, that we keep our eyes on him. It's found in feasting, that we would learn to celebrate and grow in, in celebrating him and one another. And in actually a functioning out, living out of this faith only found within a relationship with God in his presence. So this, this involves, this movement involves us learning to delight in God, learning to deny ourselves, uh, learning the discipline, uh, to have discipline in our life, dedication to our hope found in him, determination to trust and rely on him, dependence on the Holy Spirit to get us through and empower us for the road ahead. All of these things are necessary for us. And as we have been in Matthew 6, we see that Jesus is um, teaching. Um, he's talking about the righteous, that, that our righteousness needs to surpass that of um, the scribes, that of the Pharisees. And so he focuses on three specific things. He talks about giving, praying, and fasting. We're talking about fasting this morning. Uh, but before we get to that, I want us to just be reminded to recall the, the Sermon on the Mount all builds on itself for the same purpose of helping us understand what a flourishing life found in God looks like, what a flourishing life is, is meant to bring into our life. And so Matthew, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 5, we're going to look at verses 16 and 20 as a good fire-up point for us to, to recall. So verse 16. This is after Jesus gives what's referred to as the Beatitudes. He says to his the disciples and those who are listening what their call in life is, that in the same way you are to let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. It's important to remember this verse because as we've been looking at, Jesus is talking a lot about the motive and heart of why we do what we do, why we give, why we pray, why we fast, why we do these things. Because if the heart is wrong, everything's wrong. Nothing matters. He says you can give as much as you want to give, but if you're giving to get the attention of men, you've already got your reward. You've already, done, you've already done it. If you're praying um, deep, long, great, crazy prayers, if you're praying so that you capture the attention of those around you, um, you're, you're getting your, your, your reward is getting their attention. 
And so he's, he's laying this out of there's a way in which we are to live out our faith that is not to get people's attention for their attention's sake, but to live our life in such a way that the light captivates them for God's glory, not for our good. And so it's important to keep that heartbeat in mind because Jesus sets out and says, you are to live your light, your life so bright, so beautiful, so amazing that everyone who sees it goes, there's something beautiful about what you're doing. It must be because of your faith. It must be because of the God that you worship. So then in verse 20, if you jump down, Jesus says this, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven fascinating verse, powerful verse, like, well, so do we have to work to get into heaven? No, our work has been done through the work of Jesus Christ. When we rest in him, he is our righteousness. He is our righteousness through and through, always. Even being our righteousness, he invites us, commands us, calls us to live in a certain way and to live out that faith. And so when he says this here, he says that there are those who believe in the way of God who are doing so in an unrighteous way. And so what appears to most people like they've got all their stuff together, they don't. And so your righteousness needs to surpass that. It needs to surpass this surface level of faith, this surface level of of relationship, and actually go into a real, authentic, empowered, makarios life with God. And so if you look, flip to Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 1, Jesus says this, So, because of all this, be careful not to practice your righteousness. So, right there, this is a reminder, we are to practice righteousness. We're to do good things. Like, righteousness is a part of our life. We are to do good things. And I love that he says practice it, because ain't none of us in here perfect with it. Like, we're like, amen. Like, we're not perfect at it, but we're practicing at it. We're, We're trying to get better at living out this life for Jesus. So he's not saying don't practice your righteousness. Catch what he says. Practicing your righteousness in front of others. So pause right there. But didn't Jesus just say in Matthew 16 to practice righteousness in front of others? The answer is yes. Just want to recall that for you. The answer is yes. So that clearly he's not saying there, okay, now don't practice your righteousness. Let's read the rest of it. It says, do not practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Like, that's not why we do good. We do not do good so that people go, man, they're good. Man, they got their stuff together. We do not do scatter day. We do not serve in our city so that people go, man, that church really likes people. I mean, we do, but it's a byproduct of us loving God and being loved by him. And so it, it, it's how, it, it's, it's really the overflow of where your motive is coming from. And so Jesus, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them, otherwise you have no reward with your Father in heaven. Now, I want to give a quick definition of what this word reward means for us this morning. Simple, simply put, the reward is intimacy with him. The reward is not you getting to go to heaven. That reward is based on the life and blood and sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there is a reward for you, for me, here and now, in this life. That reward is relationship and intimacy with God. And so if you're in dinner parties, you probably have experienced this. As people share their stories, right, you may notice, man, that person is really on fire for Jesus. 
That person has a relationship that either I don't have or a relationship that I want or, man, like I'm feeling the same thing. I'm experiencing the same thing. That's the reward. The reward is growing in a hunger and an intimacy and excitement and a connection with God, with his church, with the Holy Spirit moved out. And so what Jesus is unpacking here through giving, through praying, through fasting, is the importance of understanding there is a reward given to us in intimacy and relationship with him. That not only that we head knowledge know that we're forgiven, but heart knowledge, we feel forgiveness. Heart knowledge, we feel shame has been removed from us. Heart knowledge, we know his presence is with us. Heart knowledge, we know that he's, an, he's a good God and who answers our prayers. The reward is knowing and feeling and living this out fully. And so as we jump to verse 16 this morning to close out this portion of, of Jesus' teaching on the three forms of righteousness. And these aren't the only forms of righteousness. I want to give a little uh, segue to next year. Um, we're we're going to be taking some time next winter as a church to walk through what's referred to as spiritual disciplines. Um, these are practices that have been used since Jesus' day to help people grow in their relationship with God break bondage in in areas of of their life, sin, different areas, and just grow in relationship of faith with him and with others. And so these three things we've looked at, giving, praying, fasting, these are all forms of uh, spiritual disciplines. They're all forms of righteousness that help shape us to become more like Jesus. And so this morning, I want to give a little snapshot of this idea of fasting. Um, And so it's important we're going to talk about it, but when we read the word fast, don't think of like doctor's visit fast. Uh, I know for most of us, like if we did a like a pan, it's probably the only fast most of us have done in here of like, oh, like when I don't have breakfast or coffee and go get my blood drawn, like that's what Jesus is talking about. No, no, he's talking about something way harder. Uh, So verse 16, read with me. So whenever you fast, pause right there, Jesus is making the assumption you're going to do this like he did with praying, like he did with giving. It doesn't say if, when. Whenever you do this, whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like all the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Some of y'all are like, you're going to break out if you do that. No, it'll be okay. Verse 18. So, do this is why we do this. So that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but it's obvious to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Um, this morning, I think it's important for us to just acknowledge uh, that life, as you and I know it, is both spontaneous and disciplined at the same time. Um, Our life happens not at a rate that we often ask for, if we're all honest. Like, we don't sit back and go, man, I really hope the water heater goes out today. That'd be great. It's spontaneous. Things happen. Things come at us. The person runs the stoplight, the stop sign, collides with you. Um, Things happen. They're spontaneous. You're not in control. But also, it's a life of discipline. Um, you should have an alarm that wakes you up 
to get on with your day, whether it's being going to school or going to work or getting up to study for a task. We, we live a life of discipline, and some of us are way more disciplined than others, but yet there is a life of discipline. And so it's important to realize um, that most people will try to find themselves in one area or the other. Either they live a life of complete spontaneity, which just makes me want to run my head through a wall. They're just like, well, we'll just see what happens today. Not going to set the alarm. going to turn the phone off. Might leave for work today. I don't know. We're just going to see what happens. And they put that as like, we're just going to trust the Lord. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're being lazy. <laughs> you're, just, you're just setting out. Then you have people on the other end, the discipline category, that are just straight control freaks. Probably me. Um, that everything's mapped out. I have alarms for everything. Like... It just, it's a thing. I want to be disciplined. I want to know where I need to go. And there's this, this melding of both that has to be a reality. And so as life happens to us spontaneously, and so it begs that we also be disciplined and to live rightly. And this is a major point for Jesus this morning, um, as well as for the Israelites and the Jewish people, that we often miss this. When we talk about fasting in the Bible, it's important for us to understand what this practice was for them. And so when Jesus is addressing these three areas of righteousness, giving, praying, and fasting, he's addressing a life of discipline in the midst of spontaneous life happening. So when he gives the example of, of the, the examples of giving, that you have this, we've used this phrase over and over again, a reflexive righteousness, that that term would grow in us, that we don't just simply wait for something to happen, um, but where our reflex is knowing how to give, how to pray, how to fast, that as things happen spontaneously to us, our life is so disciplined that we know that we take it to the Lord. Something's happening, I pray immediately. I'm not waiting, I'm not waiting for Sunday. I'm not waiting for a moment to talk to Pastor Britt or to talk to our dinner party. In those moments, I need prayer. I call somebody up. Hey, here's what's going on. Can we pray together? Like, I reach out to someone. There's, there's a mode in those moments that, I, that just becomes a reflexive ability. We have somebody who's in need. Um, example, we had several, several months back, a family uh, was in need um, to, to help get something set up in their house. And um, Stacy, in her reflexiveness, immediately reached out to quite a few families, and we were able to meet a need in 24 hours. And it's those moments of reflexiveness, of just being aware, being ready to follow after Jesus in a heartbeat and respond as God would have for us. And Jesus looked at those three specific areas. And we've talked about giving, um, giving a few weeks back, growing in that reflexive righteousness, uh, ready to serve, ready to give, whatever God has in store. And so this morning, fasting is a similar thing. So what is fasting? A lot of different definitions out there. Uh, this one, I think, works best for us. It is the voluntary uh, abstition, I'm going to mess this word up, abstaining, <laughs> abstaining from an otherwise normal function, most often referring to eating, uh, for the sake of an intense spiritual activity. So the last part is really key to that. Um, you're not fasting so that the dress fits better. You're not fasting because you're about to take photos. Um, you're not fasting because you want to convince your doctor that you've lost weight. We fast spiritually, supernaturally, for a spiritual reason, a spiritual activity. We're longing to see and grow in an experience with God. 
And so I want to come back just a few paces to that of the, what the normal function is that we're walking away from. And I've, I've said this before. I know uh, some, some of you have grown up in a tradition, faith-wise, that practices um, Lent, uh, which is a practice of, of giving something up. Um, I want to I say this as a, like in love, um, and this is going to be hurtful maybe to some. It's not my intention. Um, fasting is you not giving up chocolate. Um, you deciding for 40 days to give up a luxury. Um, fasting is something that is needed to the core of who we are. Um, even people like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast from Facebook. That's just healthy. Like There are things in your life that you need to not have complete control over your life, like some social media sites. Like there, there are things like that is a healthy practice. We don't fast from that. That'd be like if um, how many there's I can't remember what the guy's name is, but he did um, uh, this show was called Super Size Me. Like he, I was horrible. Like for forty days he ate nothing. Every single meal was McDonald's something. It was it was horrible. Google it and then get sick. Um, but in it, like he he just he. Ate McDonald's for 40 days. His liver shut down. Um, like he gained like 70 pounds in 40 days. I mean, it was nuts. Um, and like he got really, really sick. And so then him going, okay, now I'm gonna I'm gonna fast for 40 days so that like I get healthy again. He doesn't return back to that lifestyle. Like the lifestyle's not good. And so when we talk about fasting, it's important for us to realize that there's rhythms to fasting and the point and purpose is always for a spiritual activity for our hearts to hunger for God. And here's why I make the, sh the shot for chocolate. I know some of you are like, you don't know how I get if I don't have a piece of chocolate and wine every day. Like I just turn into a, it just gets bad. Okay, try not eating for a day. You will watch and see in your life uh, what really becomes, uh, where your God really relies. So the question is, why, why do we fast? It's a great question. Um, if it's not to, you know, just lose weight. And there are some health benefits to it for sure. But we fast primarily, always, for orienting our lives to God. Orienting our lives to God. Because here's the thing. If I'm honest, I get distracted and disoriented in this life as I'm going after stuff. And I just, I need a moment to catch my breath and reorient myself with the one who is my father, with the one who is my leader, with the one who governs my life. And so fasting is this intentional mode of saying, I, there's something in my life that I know is not oriented with you and I need to get that right with you. And so we don't fast to get stuff from God. Like, write that down, circle that a thousand times over. If you have ever heard a pastor say or read a book that says, we do not fast to get anything from God. Now, in fasting, we, God gives us things, but that's, that's a different relationship. Same reason why we don't pray. We don't pray to get something from God. We don't pray to convince him to do something. We don't give so that we get something from God. It's in those acts, the reward that comes from the Father, is something way more amazing. It is a relationship, it is a trust, it is an intimacy, it is an awareness of what he is doing in the midst of us. And so we see in Scripture, people would fast and cry out to God. The idea was that we would intentionally withhold from our life something that we have potentially been overvaluing its power in our life. And so in Jesus' day... Um, 
what would take place is they would have periodic fasts. And most of the time, these fasts were in, in memory of things to help people recall that God bringing them out of the desert, that God was saving them, that God was sending the Messiah. They would also have nationwide fasts um, that typically what would be happening is a drought would be on its way. And so the fast was both, both um, very practical, but also would drive a nation to pray. Like, hey, crops are bad, so we're going to have a fast every Thursday through Friday, um, whereas a nation, we're not eating. And we're just not not eating. We're praying and crying out to God, God, would you send the rain? Would you send the harvest? Because you've made promises to us that you're going to provide for us, that you're going to be with us, that you're going to give us our daily bread. And we know that you've not brought us into this place to kill us. And so we're praying this so that we realize our reliance is not on crops growing, but from you providing for us. And so there's this constant move that they would practice this. And so in Jesus' day, like he's calling this out, that you have fasts that are naturally part of your, your rhythm and part of your life, and you're doing it in a way that, that maybe God isn't necessarily pleased with it. You're doing it in a way that doesn't bring full glory to God. And so fasting is a, is a powerful tool I have found in my life that reveals a lot about me. Um, so if kind of to ask this question, so well, this isn't a question because I don't want you to answer it for me. Uh, if I ran three miles, I would be exhausted. I don't think I could actually run three miles. I probably could get to the end of the street and would call it quits. But it's, let's just say, let's just say that I was being chased and like I had the energy to run for three miles. Um, what I've learned in that is not that running makes me exhausted. It's that I'm exhausted because I'm out of shape. Fasting reveals this. So rather than that the run revealed to me that I'm, the run is revealed to me that I'm out of shape, not that running makes me out of shape. Fasting does the same thing. It doesn't make me grumpy. It's always my favorite thing when I talk to somebody about giving up food for like a period of the fast. Like, oh, pastor, you don't know how I'm going to get. No, I know how you're going to get. I do the same thing. Get a little testy, get a little snappy. It's a chemical. Endor yeah, your endorphins aren't firing like they normally. Your, your body's used to sweets and carbs and proteins being broken down, and now your body's being deprived of that, and so it just turns you into a raging animal. Yeah, I, I got it. I know. It happens. Uh, but what that reveals to me is that that's an emotion in me. Why are my emotions tied to my food? Why are my emotions and feelings tied to anything other than to the Father? other than to what's real in my life in those moments. And it reveals something in me that it's not that, that not eating makes me grumpy. It reveals that grumpiness is how I respond to not getting what I want. It reveals that my emotions are based on situationally, uh, they're, they're based on spontaneous reality. That if I'm going to worship God, it has to be within a certain uh, set of rules. Fasting breaks that to say, guess what the rule for today is? You get no food. You're just, you're going to worship the Father today. When your stomach growl, growls, you want to get angry with somebody, turn that into a moment of worship. That it becomes an awareness for us. And so fasting testifies to, to this, that the world actually has nothing for me, but that God has everything. And at the same time, that testifies that God is everything to us. That the world will provide something that is only temporary. Like that prime rib, it is delicious, but it's going to come and go. 
And if I keep pressing after that thing that is not God, that is not the one who truly satisfies, my life can become overly distracted. So fasting identifies where we are reliant on and what what we're reliant on. And we think about how we should live according to that thing. Um, So if we head back in a few verses, um, we, we see this, our Father who is in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's this calling out of our lives being shaped under the rule and reign of Jesus. And fasting breaks that. Fasting does that. Fasting reminds us that this world's power is limited while God's power is limitless. Isn't it odd that, that Jesus knows us so well that he would take the very things that are meant for good and, and, and shaping us and invert them to us? He, he flips this where he's talking about that we'd ask for our daily bread, but then also, but you also need to fast from that daily bread. So we don't become dependent on that, we become dependent on God. Dallas Willard, a phenomenal theologian, um, talks about this. He elaborates on the power of fasting as, as a training. It says, in fasting, we learn how to suffer happily as we feast on God. And it's a good lesson because in our lives, you will suffer. No matter what else happens to you, there is a promise that you will suffer. So fasting teaches temperance or self-control and therefore teaches moderation and restraint with regard to all our fundamental drives. Since food has the pervasive place it does in our lives, the effects of fasting will be diffused throughout our personality. So what he's saying there, he's a psychologist as well. What he's saying there is when you fast, the real you comes out. The real you comes out when you no longer have something to hide behind. When once that sugar is uh, out of your system from all that ice cream, <laughs> um, you're not as cheerful. You're not as, you're not as filled, filled with joy. Um, we see this in children, don't we? Like, and this is what I love about children. Like, some of us like, oh, those kids. Man, they are just a mirror of you without control <laughs> at, at, at their purest. You give a kid some ice cream, man, they are happy as can be. Like, yeah, this is great. Everything's wonderful. It's wonderful. Like, but when they've not had a sugar intake for uh, an hour, um, <laughs> they're, they're just angry. Like, oh, I hate you. Oh, this is horrible. I'm going to break everything in the house. No, child, here's a cookie. Calm down. You'll be fine. But our own souls do that. Like, how many of you were hangry this week? Like, spouse looked over and you're like, what do you want for dinner? Something. And you're like, ooh, okay, all right. Anything specific? Just all of it. Just bring me all of it. That we, it, it reveals in us this impatience that we have. It reveals the very nature of, of who we are and where there needs to be some things broken within us. And so it reveals, diffuses out and reveals the true us. In the midst of all of our needs, he says, in the midst of all of our needs and wants, we experience the contentment of the child that has been weaned from the mother's breast, Psalm 131. Um, and godliness with contentment is great gain, First Timothy 6. So he's saying that, that in these moments of fasting, we mature. We, we, we see things about our character, about our nature. They're like, oh man, like that's not fully redeemed yet. <laughs> um, God wants to do something in the midst of my life there. Martin Lloyd-Jones, another pastor, he writes about the Sermon on the Mount, says this very just poignant phrase. Um, 
when asked about a teaching on the on fasting, and he says, fasting does one specific great gift that I wish all people could lock into their minds. These three words would do us well. Forget your face. Just blunt. Forget your face. Forget yourself and concern yourself only with God. Fasting invites us to forget ourselves and be focused on that which is truly around us, needs that we would have, things that others might be in need of. Um, to give this as a just a practical, again, this isn't meant as a, as a boast because none of you knew this was happening. Um, so last week, several families, uh, several people within the church were just having really hard weeks. Um, like a lot of days, really stressful, rough stuff going on. Um, and I was beside myself as their pastor, as your pastor, like to just, my wisdom runs, runs low at some points. It's like, I don't know what to tell you. Um, and so it's in those moments where uh, you have an invitation, just throw your hands up and be like, you got to go somewhere else, or I don't know how to help you. Um, but knowing that I was going to be teaching on this in a few weeks, I just kind of leaned back and I was like, I think I'm going to fast. Um, going to fast and God just ask that you would speak, ask that you would um, just give me words for them uh, in fasting to, to pray on their behalf for them and took several days and uh, becomes a challenge when you don't inform your spouse um, of that and she comes home with your favorite dinner and you're like, oh, I can't eat that. And she's like, why? And I'm like, if I tell you, <laughs> if I tell you it no longer counts. And I was like, well, I'm fasting. And she's like, well, I'm going to eat all your food. And I'm like, that's fine. <laughs> Dang it. Um, but it was in this moment that I, like, I found myself, um, the, the fight is real. Like I would say that I, I, like, not, I would say, I love Jesus. I love him. He is my everything. Um, except when it comes to fried chicken. And I'm like, right, no, seriously, let's think like, yeah, Jesus, I'm going to fast for you. I'm going to fast so I can be in relationship and pray with you. And I'm going to pray for my friends and my family. And then somebody shows up with your favorite food. Well, we can, I can fast another day. Right? Like, I'll put it off. It's not like, I don't need to do this. I begin to notice in the moments where my discipline truly is. Because in my head, I know I don't have to fast to get God's approval. I don't have to fast to have a reward from him. I don't have to fast to pray better. But I know what is true as one who has practiced these things. When I fast, my attention is way more driven into God's heartbeat. Like it, and it takes time to build that rhythm. I become way more in tune with that which is around me. I become way more aware of, and this sounds weird, but of even of Scripture. It's not like... Um, like not eating, like unlocks something in us. But I find in those moments that as I'm having conversations with people, like just out of nowhere, I don't remember reading that scripture, but like t 10 years ago, but yet it's in my mind in this moment for this, for this person and they need this. And then in sharing like, oh my gosh, like that helps me see Jesus more. So it's, it, it's in these moments for us understanding that fasting, it, it, it opens us up in a deeper way, in a deeper relationship with the Father. It helps us forget ourselves, and that takes time um, in, in practicing that. So um, Jesus gives two specific things here. He says how not to do this. There's a way not to fast. And he says gloomy and sad. That's not how we fast. 
Um, and this was a practice in that day. Um, people would just, they would fast, and they would fast regularly. Uh, some texts, uh, we see it in Luke, um, and then in some other uh, religious writings that the, the certain Pharisees and Hebrews would fast twice a week, um, Thursdays and Fridays, and that was kind of their spiritual practice. They would do this, um, but they would do it in such a way that to try to, they would just kind of show off. They would look real sad. They like wouldn't wash their face. They'd be all dirty. Um, and just like, oh, you know, I can't have that. Must be nice to eat whatever you want. Like they would just, those people who just make people feel guilty about their joy. Like that's what Jesus is referring to. He's like, don't do that. You're making a choice to practice something spiritual. Don't be a joy kill. Like don't, don't, I was say poo-poo. Don't poo-poo anybody else's parade. Like you're making a choice to practice and to do something and so don't, don't be gloomy, don't be sad, don't make it obvious that you're, you're wanting and that you're, you're doing this thing. Um, there's this joke, I wanted to kind of give this illustration, and we've fallen this, I've fallen into this. Um, there, there's, there's just this movement in our society that when we do something that deprives us, we want the world to know, right? Um, Whole 30, <laughs> Those of you who just giggled know what I'm talking about. They're, oh, man, like, I can't eat bread or dairy. Oh, but I can eat all the meat I want and vegetables. Like, they just, you, you know somebody's on Whole30 only because they tell you what they can and can't eat. Um, and there's nothing wrong with Whole30. I love that practice. There are certain diets that are amazing out there, but we turn those diets into something that we want to either complain about, like, oh, you don't know what it's like to not have sugar to not have ice cream for a month. No, I do. It's really good when I don't, uh, when I don't have those things. So Jesus is saying, don't, when you're practicing this, don't share with everybody. Like, just do it. Like, just do the practice. Just practice out this, this fasting. And he says, not only do you not want to look gloomy and sad, there's a certain way you should do it. Like, you should go above and beyond actually looking cleaner. <laughs> you should be looking happier. Clean, clean it up. Wash your face. Put some oil in the beard. Um, kind of clean the self up so that when you're walking around, you're not walking around like just sad and, and like gloomy. Um, be like, but pastor, what do you do about the tummy roll when that like starts growling when you're around people? Drink some water. Like, that'll help. Like there are certain practical things that he says that as you do this, you need to do so that it doesn't, doesn't set you up to lose the purpose of why you're doing this. Your purpose for doing this is not to gain the attention of men, but to have your attention be on God. Let me say that again. The purpose of fasting is not for you to gain the attention of other people, that you're spiritual and you're doing this thing, but it is for you to have your attention put on God. And as I was reading this this week, I just, I just have this question for us, church, um, and I don't I don't fully know the answer, but I'm, I'm praying for us as a church and just for God's church in this. Why is our default spiritual posture always downtrodden sadness? Let me ask that again. Like, like I find time and time again, our spiritual posture before God is often just downtrodden sadness. Woe is me. Like, I get to love God today. Uh, like, Eeyore faith is the worst. Like, poo or piglet, that's where it's at. Like, just excitement, like, man, just, today's great, like, it's living the life, here we go, like, got, like, just life, it's good, like, life is good. Um, and so, yeah, the theology via Winnie the Pooh, it's amazing. But, but seriously, like, the, the 
be filled with joy. The kid is one of the mandates that Jesus says, like, in, in me dying and being resurrected and being with the Father, I'm leaving you my joy. I'm leaving you my peace. I'm giving you life that is life upon life, materials flourishing. Like, we have got to learn to tell our face what our heart is truly experiencing in life. Now, for some of us, we're experiencing sadness. And that's, that's I get that. But may the joy of the Lord overwhelm you that it drives out those moments of sadness. Not that it pushes away like just, just smile, just be happy. No. Go before the Lord and say, God, this moment is, is hard and I don't like it. And God, I know you want to do something with it. But I know that there's a promise that you have joy for me. And that is a promise. And so I want to see it. What do I need to do to see it? Where does my mind need to break free and see your goodness? Where does my heart need to break free and see who you are? To be filled with the life of Jesus that is our gift is one that is of joy, not of downtrodden sadness. And so fasting is truly an invitation to feast on God. Fasting is an invitation to feast on God. Time in prayer, time in scripture, time in worship. If you were to give yourself just a, one day a week, or even just a practice to say, you know, like, I'm going to miss one meal. And in that one meal, I'm not filling it with other things except for God. I'm going to take some time. I'm going to open the word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to listen to some worship songs. I'm going to be intentional with this time not to get more work done. Like, I fall into that. Like, I making it spiritual because I work through lunch. No. Be intentional with the time in which you have before God saying, I'm setting this time away. And here's the, the danger in fasting. We're going to talk more about this uh, in, in the coming months because it's a war. Like I find myself, even as I try to practice this intentionally and spiritually to pray and, and like hear from the Lord, that I find myself being distracted more than ever. Like that I, I'm not just, I find myself almost at the end of the fast going, I've not prayed <laughs> I've not spent time in God's word. I've not like, now I'm just doubly angry. I've not ate and like I've missed meals and I've missed fellowship with people and now I've still not accomplished the very thing that I was setting out to do. And so it is a, a battle of discipline to find ourselves holy in those moments. So there have been times in my life where I've just decided, man, I, just, I need to let go of those things and to trust the Lord. And fasting allows us to do that. It allows us to rest in him. So I want to recall this for you and I this morning, that the key to a joyful, powerful, and faithful, flourishing life, that it is found in Jesus alone. It's not found anywhere else. Fasting reminds us of that. He reminds us of where our joy truly should be found. That it is found in Him. And so I want to make a, a challenge this week to all of you here who want to participate. I want to ask you to miss one lunch. Um, I was talking with some guys this last week and like, I'll do breakfast. You already don't eat breakfast. That's not, that's not, a, that's not spiritual. That's not helping. It needs to be, it needs to be a, a giving up. It needs to be a challenge in that. And so I want to give a doctor's disclaimer. Uh, if you're diabetic or have like health issues and food is a regular part of your intake, don't do this. Like, or talk to a doctor and ask how to do it safely. I don't want anybody going, man, pastor, I blacked out. I had a really bad day. The ER called. 
But I did it. Oh, it was great. I'm like, oh my God, don't do that, please. Like, be, be responsible in this. But um, that you will, you will realize some powerful things about you. That if you intentionally say, like after your breakfast meal, Jesus, my attention wants to be on you now until dinner. And I want you just to take note of how, how little your focus is on him in that time. How much your focus goes to food. What am I going to eat next? When's my next meal coming from? How am I going to break this fast? What am I going to eat for dinner? Find yourself in those moments. What is capturing your attention? When you realize that your attention is on something other than God, here comes the practice. Pray. Give your attention to him. You don't just go, man, I'm hungry. Oh, yeah, I probably should have thought about God. Okay, moving on. No. When that hunger hits, to draw back to Matthew 5, blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. May that be just a simple prayer on your heart. God, I'm literally physically hungry and thirsty right now. But I know that there's also something else in my spirit that hungers and thirsts. Would you satisfy both of those? Would you satisfy me at the core of of who I am before you? That you just use that as a moment to pray. Every little moment you have just that little hunger pain. Use that as a moment to pray. Not complain, but to pray before the Lord. Take your lunch, period, and just put in some headphones, go listen to some worship, like just use it as a moment of, of worship. And I want you just to, to just kind of track how you feel in those moments. And when you come off of the fast, when you end at, at dinner time, to use that as a moment of celebration and worship. But like, Jesus, I did it. <laughs> like, I survived today. Like, I made it. Like, that's awesome. Like, this, this was hard. Like, and just have a conversation with him. Let him know. Jesus, this was hard. How did you do it for 40 days? Like, man, it was hard for me for four hours. Be it you did it. And I, like, I did it. And, like, I I was disciplined in this moment, even though spontaneous things happened. Like, I'm going to tell you, those of you who work in an an environment, like, with other coworkers, the day that you decide to do it, you're going to have distraction come at you like nothing else. They're going to come in with your favorite ice cream, favorite pizza. Like, they're just going to have a wheelbarrow of all of your favorite food. Like, we brought this for you today. And you're like, oh, Brit said this was going to happen. And just, don't do it. Don't, like, be disciplined and press through and trust the Lord. Like, I'm just going to give it a practice today. And you may hate it and be like, I'm never going to do this again. But I want to encourage you this week to try this, especially if you're in dinner parties. Um, it's going to be part of a conversation that we're going to have at at dinner party. Like, how did this fast, how did this make you feel? What was this like? What, what were some of the things that you experienced? At the end of the day, fasting is this invitation for us to be intimate with the Father. As the worship team comes up, I want to close with this scripture for us. That this would be our prayer as a church, this, this realization, this undergirding of understanding that, that fasting is a multiplier for what is within us. And we want to have multiplied within us the glory and goodness and light of who Jesus is. It's what reveals to us those things where our attention is elsewhere. It reveals what we're distracted by. Um, It reveals things within us that the Holy Spirit wants to work on. So Psalm 121, uh, verses 1 through 8, it says this. I lift my eyes up toward the mountains. 
Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and your going both now and forever. And I want to repeat just this question for us this morning. Because that happens when verse 1 is what's lived out. I lift my eyes, not to mountains, but to the highest of all highs, to the King of all kings, to the Lord of all lords. Because where does my help come from? It's not going to come from a mountain. It's going to come from the one who made the mountain. It's going to come from the one who sustains the world. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Fasting drives us to ask this question, where will my help come from? Where does my need come from? Where, where will my needs be met? How will they be met? It only comes from the Lord, the giver of all good things. So this morning, church, as we come into a time of worship and celebration, I just want to ask you, where are you hungry for Him? Where are you hungering for more of God in your life? Would you ask Him to meet that need? I want to invite us to stand as we pray together. Father, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You that You supply life to us. Whether we realize this or not, God, You, you give us life. You've provided the, the ability for us to work. You've provided the ability for us to, to have homes and have brains that, that make and create and shape the clothes that we wear. And God, everything is a gift from you. And yet when we're not careful, we can become uh, in love with those things. We can become dependent on those things and not dependent on you and you alone. And so, Father, as we worship you, I ask that you would help us grow in our hunger for you to be satisfied in you and in you alone. Father, this morning may we lift our eyes not to jobs, not to family, not uh, to the things coming, but that may we lift our eyes to you, the maker of heaven and earth, the sustainer of our lives. Jesus, we ask all of this for your glory and for our good.